0: I'd to invite the rest of you to join with me in Luke chapter 12, beginning in the verse 49 and going to the end of the chapter. Uh, this will probably be our uh, last uh, time in Luke for a couple of weeks as we anticipate Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. And uh, by the way, I'm sure Ron mentioned... Uh, Special events that are associated with that, but I I hope you have them on your calendar and you're planning uh, to be out uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and uh, Sunday between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday and also our sunrise service Sunday morning. If you've never been to that, uh, I invite you to come. The Boland family has graciously um, extended their home to us again and we... um, Sit on the lovely porch overlooking Long Lake with the sun coming up facing us. Uh, it's a great uh, time, and so uh, we have lots of things to look forward to. And also this Wednesday night, um, special mission opportunity from another missionary from Mongolia. Uh, really special, so I hope you can uh, can be there for that. Well, hopefully you found uh, Luke 12:49 by now. Uh, Follow along as I read, beginning from the New American Standard Bible. I have come to cast fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father. Mother against daughter, daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, A shower is coming. So it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? And why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while you were going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him, so that he may not drag you before the judge, and the judge turned you over to the officer, and the Officer, throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Well, as we come to these uh, final paragraphs in chapter 12 this morning, I want to remind you that the general context of this is that Jesus has been talking about signs of the end of time. Uh, We call the study of last things eschatology. I don't mean to uh, aggravate you by that word, but eschatology comes from the Greek eschatos, meaning last. And so it's to study last things. And uh, Jesus has been talking about that in this whole section. And this section that we're looking at this morning is no different. He is continuing that theme all the way through the end. In fact, we're going to find that it's rather important uh, to recognize that. Um, as we come to the last segment, or, or else his final illustration, uh, doesn't tend to make any sense. And um, while Jesus' ministry was specifically intended to be one of reconciliation, um, he tells us in this passage, I have come to cast fire on the earth. Now, the fire that he's speaking of is a judgment kind of fire. And he says, how I could wish it were already kindled, Uh, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until that is accomplished. Um, A lot of times I think we view Jesus sort of in a box, like he was not um, uh, acquainted with our kinds of feelings and, and struggles and suffering. And the fact is that while um, he was not sinful in any sense of the word, that he was very much acquainted. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was very much acquainted with the kinds of struggles that we have. And as he looked uh, toward the cross, we know that it gave him uh, some amount of concern because um, we see him praying in the garden that evening that he was arrested and. And we see him uh, in an agony of his soul. And he says here, uh, I have a baptism to undergo, and I am distressed until it is accomplished. His mission right now looks at the cross. And as he's moving closer to it, uh, he sees the storm clouds gathering, as it were. And he realizes that he's coming to a moment when he is going to be bearing the sin of the world and separated from the Father. And these things are coming upon him. And he recognizes that. And he says, this causes me a great deal of distress. And he says, my very coming is ultimately going to bring fire to this earth. But that is not to uh, in any way contradict or negate the terms that he gave to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You recall that passage in the most familiar verse, verse 16, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we often forget verse 17 following where Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, But that the world through Him could be saved so that He could reconcile and and recover what was lost. Jesus' mission was redemptive. But in that same mission, there is also the implication of judgment. Because for a long time, uh, the Jews waited for Messiah. For a long time, humanity waited for uh, a, a Messiah. God said to Abraham 2,000 years prior to the coming of Jesus, um, I am going to single you out, I'm going to make a great nation of you, and through you all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And for 2,000 years, God spent time acquainting people with His character, but also acquainting them through the law and the Ten Commandments and, and, and the writings of Moses, Uh, By inspiration, God also spent that time acquainting people with how they fall short of His character. In other words, He was setting them up to understand that they need a Redeemer. They need a Savior. That all of this history has been for one purpose. to, To bring us acutely to the awareness of our need for a Savior and to point out the fact to us that that we need someone to pay for our sin and to restore us to right relationship with God. And Jesus said, I've come for that reason. I've come to bridge that gap. I've come to bring that redemption. I've come to forgive your sin and to bring you back into relationship with God. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came that the world through me might be saved. But... His first coming automatically foreshadows His second coming. That there is a time, a period of grace in which the gospel message is proclaimed and opportunity is given for people to turn by faith and and come back into relationship with God. But at the end of that period of time, there's coming a judgment. And Jesus will not appear the second time as a little baby, helpless, uh, in a manger, uh, in a a cave or stall outside of Bethlehem. He's coming the second time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And and as God Almighty, uh, returning to this earth to establish a righteous rule and reign. And there will be judgment. Fire is coming. Judgment is coming. There's going to be a day of reckoning. We we cannot escape that. And Jesus is seeking in his discussion uh, with his disciples, and what Luke tells us are thousands of people that have gathered to listen. What Jesus is saying is that I have also come to bring division. My purpose is not to divide, my purpose is to redeem. But that very process is going to bring division. It's going to cause division. There will be separation within families. There will be um, uh, parents who are at odds with their children and children at odds with their parents. There will be division between husbands and wives. There's going to be a division within family units. There's going to be division within the village. Uh Some are going to choose me. And when they choose me, they will automatically place themselves in opposition to those who reject me. And it will occur in cases within family units that some will choose to follow Jesus Christ. And others will reject him. And as a consequence, division will come within the home. I think it's important that we understand what Jesus is saying here and that we recognize the the the, the, primacy, the 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 urgency, and the singularity of following Jesus Christ above all other considerations. We live in the United States. Our nation prides itself on individualism. We tell children from as young as they can comprehend it, uh, you can be whatever you want to be. This is America, the land of the free. You can do whatever you want to do. You can study whatever you want to study. You can become whatever you want to become. This is your opportunity. You realize that most places in the world are not like that? You realize that most countries in the world and, and, and most Uh, cultures are very much oriented around the nuclear family and a person would never hesitate to break tradition or to violate family values to pursue their own cause their interest is always what is good for the family and what is good for the village And they rely on the family and village to guide them and direct them in that way. In many cultures around the world, children do not grow up being told, you can be whatever you want to be. They grow up being told, you're going to become what we have prepared and planned for you. You are expected to follow in the goals that we have established for you. And you will live your life for the good of this family and for the good of our community. You do not matter as a person. This family matters and this community matters. And that is of supreme importance. And the scriptures were written in the context of that culture. And Jesus was ministering in the context of that culture. And I think many times we fail to recognize... How counter-cultural Jesus' ministry was. We don't understand uh, how much in the face of culture he often was teaching and preaching. uh, How much he was breaking tradition. How often he was uh, violating the very values that the community had come to cherish. And bringing them to account. It's amazing how he challenged them. Some months ago, when I was uh, a part of an interview with uh, a a couple who were applying for credentials with the Christian Missionary Alliance um, to be uh, pastoral or missionary in their future, um, and they wanted uh, those uh, credentials of ordination and consecration, Um, the uh, young woman, as I recall, was from Korea. And uh, as we spoke with her, um, it became apparent that she had had a a real crisis in her life in following Jesus. Being Korean, although she was born in America, as were her siblings, her parents were born in Korea. They were first-generation Korean. And everyone in her family was a physician. Every single person was a physician. Um, and she had the skills and abilities to become an excellent physician, and she also had the business sense to, to manage her father's rather successful medical practice. And so from childhood, she and her sisters were groomed to be doctors, and she was particularly groomed to be uh, the one who would take over her father's practice and run the family uh, business uh, in the medical clinic. And, uh, they had made sure she had had the opportunity to go to all the finest schools, to go to all the finest preparatory schools, to go to the finest universities that were available to her to, to be trained and, and developed and, and to become this, uh, you know, this next generation of physicians along with her sisters. And I believe it was while she was on a a short-term mission trip that God spoke to her heart and said, I I want you to follow me as a missionary. She said at first, she thought, well, maybe that means a missionary doctor, or something like that, or whatever. And, And then she said, the more she explored that with God, the more she realized God was saying to her, I want you to leave the study of medicine, and I want you to prepare for ministry as a missionary. I want you to sever ties with the family business. I want you to leave the goals of your parents. And I want you to leave your training in medicine. And I want you to prepare to be a missionary. And uh, she said uh, it was a huge struggle. And she acknowledged that even though her parents were at least nominal Christians and were very favorable toward the care and treatment of pastors and missionaries. They frequently gave their services to people in ministry. It's not that they were uh, antagonistic toward Christianity, but she said the thing she feared the most was confronting her father and explaining to him that she was not going to become what he had wanted her to be, and furthermore, she was not going to be taking over the family business, and that she was not even going to be practicing medicine. But that God had called her to another walk. And and she spoke with tears in her eyes and brokenness of her voice as she explained the, 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 the confrontation with her father. Because this was so, so contrary to her culture. So contrary to her family. And, and she knew that to make this decision could very well mean that she was in some way estranged from her dad for the rest of her life. And yet that was a decision she felt God was calling her to make. Jesus ministered in a culture where the family unit was of paramount importance. And the village or the community, the synagogue around which it revolved, was of supreme importance. And Jesus was saying to them, I am calling you to follow me, no matter what that means. And in some cases, you following me will bring division in your very family. Your father, your mother, will turn against you. Your siblings will reject you. Your own husband or wife may choose to dissociate with you. But I am calling you to follow me, no matter what. Some years ago, there was a fellow, uh, It's 30 years ago, he uh, conducted seminars in all the major cities of America, some of you probably went to them. I went to a few of them. And one of his teachings was that a child, uh, 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 an, even an adult child, should never go against their parents' wishes, nor should a wife ever violate her husband's will. That God had put everybody in authority, under authority, and that it was God's will that everyone obey that authority no matter what they told them. And so children, even grown children, were to obey their parents. And daughters were to obey their fathers until they got married. And uh wives were to obey their husbands no matter what. That this was God's authority structure within the family. I don't know what Bible he was reading. It, it was not the one I have. Um He was using the one I have but he was wresting things deeply out of context and misapplying them. Jesus is actually saying, I have come to call you to follow me no matter what the cost and no matter how much it goes against the grain of your family, your parents, your siblings, your marriage partner, I am calling you to follow me no matter what the price. And I tell you, it will bring division within your family structure. And that should not deter you from following my will and following me in your life. This is huge. Uh, Sometimes we fail to take into account how countercultural Jesus really was, and what he was actually saying. And, and he was not saying that that we're to to use him as an excuse for doing what we want. Some people try to do that. Um, that's not what he means. But what he is saying rather clearly is, I want you to follow me. And if it brings division, so be it. I have to be number one in your life. I have to be singularly the, the, the prime important person in your life. Regardless of what that means to other relationships. And it's not because Jesus is an egomaniac or because He's being self-centered in that. It's because He is number one. He is the one who made us. We belong to Him. He has purchased us with His own blood. He is our Lord and Savior, our Master. And as we just sang at the end of the of the (coughs) praise, said our King. You don't say no to the King. You don't say, wait a minute, I'm going to go take care of this with my mother or father or my wife. He is the King. You follow Him. No matter what the cost. You obey Him completely. Um, there, there has been a trend in missiology in, in, in recent years. Uh, and when I, when I say missiology, I'm talking about the approach toward world mission and, and the way organizations go about seeking to win the lost. And it's been an interesting trend to follow. Mission, in the contemporary sense, has really come into its own in the last 150 years. You didn't have a lot going on. Uh, w- people from one country going to another before the late 1800s, probably 1860 or 70s. So the last 150 years, uh, missions has has become uh, has grown up in the West. The United Kingdom, England, the United States uh, began sending out missionaries in the in the late 1800s. And then into the 20th century, the 1900s, we, uh, particularly after World War II, we began to expand that mission and and to uh, to to bring legitimate concern. A lot of our efforts were to make people as much Western as we were trying to make them Christian. Oftentimes, mission agencies and missionaries were guilty, not intentionally, but. But just because of the way culture works, we would go into other cultures and we would seek to win them to Christ. But we would teach them Western dress, Western music, Western culture, Western hymnody. We would try everything we could possible to make them good United States people as well as good Christians. And so eventually there was some kickback and some pushback against that. And that was appropriate because what we were doing was we were exporting culture while we were proclaiming the gospel. And and we've since learned, and there was a turning of the tide where we began to respect culture and to recognize the value of culture. And and as we went into foreign lands, to uh, other cultures, we would uh, try to see how it is that the gospel message within the context of that culture. Some people, however, have taken that too far. And in recent years, I've been reading about missionaries to the Arab lands and to the 1040 window into the Muslim world as saying, you know, we can bring people to faith in Christ who is a prophet recognized by Muslims Uh, We can bring them to faith in Christ without disrupting their Muslim heritage. They can go to the mosque. They can pray during the day. They can go worship at the mosque. They can call God Allah. They can uh, keep all of their traditions and add Jesus into that and get their relationship with Him right without disrupting their culture. Tilt. Wrong. Wrong. Jesus says, Come out from among them and be separate. The scripture says this. You must come out from among them and be separate. Yes, we have the generic word God that we apply to many religions in English. When we speak in the United States of God, we could speak of God at the Baha'i Temple. We could speak of uh, the God of Islam. We could speak of. Uh, the God of of the Buddhist, which is uh, kind of hard to do, but we could speak of the 3,000 plus gods of the Hindus. Uh, Hindus, we could speak of God in many different contexts, but when as believers we talk about God, we're speaking of the God of Scripture, the God of the Old and New Testaments, the God who has revealed His character within His Word and expressed Himself exclusively and particularly in Jesus Christ. And so, when we are engaged in mission, even in the Muslim world, we must make a clear distinction. We're not calling you to add Jesus to Islam. We are calling you to come out and follow Christ. There is only one God, and His name is Jehovah from the Scriptures. And you must come out and follow Jesus Christ. And He is not a prophet. He is the prophet. Not Muhammad. God is one and Muhammad is His prophet. No. God is one and Jesus Christ is God Almighty in human flesh. The prophet. We must affirm that. And Jesus says, I've come to bring division. You have to put me first. You have to make me singular. Singular. You have to follow me no matter what, regardless of what it implies in your life. And so he makes very plain in this passage that to follow him may bring division even within your family. And if that's the case, then that's the case. On the back of the table, and they were all taken because I gave my little plug this morning and they all got taken, but we'll put some more out. Uh, there was an article by Ron Walburn, who's the, the academic dean at uh, Alliance Theological Seminary, and you may want to read that article when we get another one out again. Uh, it, it's it's uh, called uh, No More Faking It. And in the article, he, he talks about some of these cultural kinds of things, and he talks about a bounded set culture versus a centered set. And in the, the discussion of that, he, he begins uh, to de- delineate between um, a cultural mindset that is based on the value of relationships versus one that is based on the value of appearances and rules-keeping. And um, he draws those distinctions out rather plainly in there. And friends, one of the things that I wish that we could really get our teeth into is that we have a large tendency as evangelical Christians to be bounded set people. We live within expectations. We have uh, certain cultural norms within our churchianity that reflects expectations of how Christians ought to be that are not biblical and we're all about appearances instead of about reality I don't have time to chase too many bunnies right now but uh, there's a couple of illustrations that uh, I might can share at some other time so Jesus in the midst of this is saying to them you ought to be able to discern the times, and to recognize these things. This is a time of change. I'm here, and I'm calling you to a different lifestyle. I'm here, and I'm calling you out of your culture to, to get real. The message that he brought was, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom has come. What does that mean? God's dominion, God's power. This is a new era. Jesus is the firstborn of a new creation and He is the beginning of a new era. And we're living in a time when grace is prevalent and when the gospel message is flowing freely and when people have a chance to respond to Him in faith. But it's also the harbinger of a new age when he is going to return in judgment. And he says, You ought to be able to figure this out. You know how to figure out the weather. You look at the, the earth and you see clouds coming in from the west and you say, It's going to rain. Well, where was west? It was the Mediterranean. Clouds are coming off the Mediterranean. It's going to rain. The wind is coming from the south. It's going to be hot. He says, you, you, you know how to figure this stuff out. But you can't figure out what's right in front of your face regarding the will and purposes of God. And you should be able to. Wake up. Wake up, he's saying. Recognize that you should be able to discern this moment and make the right decision. And then he ends with this story. And at first glance, it doesn't look like this story even fits. He says, uh, Why don't you even on your own initiative judge what is right? While you're going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with your opponent so he may not drag you before the judge. and judge turn you over to the officer. The officer throw you in prison. I say you're not going to get out until you pay the last cent of what you owe. And you say... What's that doing here? Well, it's because he's not talking about going to civil court. He's giving an illustration that talks about preparing to meet God. There is a day of judgment coming. You will have your day in court. There's going to come a time when you stand before the judge. Now is the time to get your life straight. The Holy Spirit is contending with you, validating the truth, working on your heart, bringing you under conviction of sin. You're moving along the path of life and you're headed toward court. Make sure you get it together now. Get it right. Take initiative. Come right with me. Respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Make your peace with God. Because if you don't, you're going to end up at court on the wrong side. And you're going to get thrown into prison and you're never getting out. You realize how hopeless it is for people to be put in jail who have a debt and be, and then be told you can't leave here until you pay your debt? How do you do that? Well, you can't. That's why we don't have debtors' prison. But Jesus wasn't even speaking of that kind of debt. He was talking about the debt we owe in our lives. And the old chorus goes, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. He made it possible for me to come to peace with God, and to bring my life into acceptance with God, so that when I come to the day in court, there's no judgment against me. We will stand one day before that judge, and if you can imagine with me the court of heaven, and... Someone reading the charges of the state versus Paul Martin. God versus Paul Martin. And my advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, stands and says, Your Honor, we have satisfactorily paid the debt that Mr. Martin owes. All charges have been dropped. We no longer have a case. And God says, you are free. You are free. Because he has paid the price. Jesus said to the crowd, you ought to be able to figure this out. I'm speaking to you pretty plainly about what it means to follow me. You ought to be able to figure this out. Now's the time. Now's the day of salvation. Now's the opportunity Make peace with God today. Recognize that I'm coming back and it's not going to be nice. Except for those who know me. Make right with God today. Father, thank you for your word to us. Lord, I pray that we would recognize the reality that you deserve to be number one. You are number one. That's why you deserve it. You have redeemed us. You love us. You have paid for us with your own blood. you purchased us. We are yours. And you've made it possible for us to have right relationship with you, regardless of what that cost. Oh God, will you in Jesus' name enable us today to be at peace with you, in all fronts that we may walk with you in harmony and not fear a judgment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.